Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalpel had been thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. Dude, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo across now eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. Welcome back, Rage Nation. We got the boys back together again. Got myself Pete. And we got Chris and Dixon screaming like little girls. What's going on, fellas? Just one of those days, man. It's just one of those days. Work gets you and it's like, yep, let's let's do this thing. All day. All day. So what we're going to do is we got a couple things we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at, first off... <laughs> If you haven't looked at RageQuitWire.com, I put up an article there about uh, just how I hate Vassal, and and it got some interesting responses. A lot of people were like, yeah, you know, that's true. I, I don't like Vassal either. And then, uh, man, there were some turbo nerds there that really defended Vassal, and that's cool, but you're not going to convince me. And if you're going to think you're going to make me feel bad for hating Vassal, you're wrong. So we're going to talk about that real quick just to see, because I know Dixon loves it, and we'll just talk about it real quick. I don't know if Dixon loves it but it's his oh, I love it. no no I, I i do love it i just don't love it more than i like in person the problem is that there's no reason to hate vassal oh you there just is. don't play it if you <laughs> you know can play in person uh, i don't get it if you don't want to play people from other parts of the world no so we'll talk about that here in a minute but that also leads into the other part of what we're going to talk about today is uh the georgia tournament that chris and i are going to release the pool of strats and schemes. So we kind of got talking about how we prepare for tournaments and what are some things that we do as far as when we look at a pool like this to try and help people just getting ready for small events and hopefully soon some of these bigger events down the road here. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we do that, something cool that we got as far as the Patreon goes, if you go to patreon.com slash ragequitwire, we actually got ourselves up to finally 20 patrons fellas were there we made it Woo! <laughs> we are the champions i mean it's i've been waiting for it forever i love doing you know battle reports so yeah so i actually finished editing the battle report that chris and i did like a while ago like this is like a month and a half two months ago and i'm actually going to upload that here soon and then once we have that uploaded, we actually recorded another one. So we are already ready to set up for the once per month now that we have uh, a new patron. So really excited about that. And then we had a new patron that really pushed us over the edge there. We have two actually. One goes by ZG and then the other one was Riker M. So I want to thank those two for putting us over and making us put out new video content and pushing us to just make some interesting new content. Really excited about it. I, I'm. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I've been thank wanting. You. I've been wanting to do video content for a while, and I it wasn't something that I was gonna do unless you know, kind of almost like the want was there, which I think it was. But really, it just is a time and money thing where you know we got to get new cameras, we got to get you know eventually new mics and stuff like that. So we'll keep improving it as we put it out, um, just because we're not. I know I'm not happy with 
our first handful of videos because Malifaux is definitely challenging to record. So we're up for the challenge though, gonna put out content and we'll figure it out. So that being said, at ragequitwire.com, I put out this article and basically I just said, a case against Vassal. And in that article, there was a couple of things that I really pointed out. I'm not gonna go through the giant hate fest because, and that's the thing that I think I told people that were starting to get their paintings in a wad. I was like, listen, if did you, first off, did you read the article and do you listen to the podcast? Because if you listen to the podcast, this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And nope. if you don't, you, and if you read the article, there's a lot of concessions I make. I, I recognize a lot of the positives about it briefly. And I just, for me personally, it's just something that the positives of Vassal don't outweigh the the reason why I war game and, you know, the reason why I don't like Vassal. So uh, I did want to talk about this real quick, just because I know that there are some people that really like Vassal and I know Dixon, you're one of them. So I wanted to give you kind of the floor for a second and just kind of what are some things you really like about the platform? Well, I mean, you pointed out all that in the article and I stand by that's actually greater than you, like you think, because we talked about this before. Yeah. I, 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 there's no reason to hate Vassal. I don't get it. I mean, do you think it's actually competing with in people gaming? No. So I think the reason why, why I wrote it was because I wanted to, I wanted to encourage people to go out because I know there are some people still being hesitant and I know that they've been playing Vassal for a while. And I wanted to point out some reasons why Vassal might start hurt your in-store gameplay. And there's one, I was actually talking to Cody Hyatt about this. And in the article, I talked about how if you play Vassal instead of playing in real life games, and then you go to an in real life tournament, your spatial awareness is going to be all fucked up. Like it's a, it's a big deal to know on the table what six inches is and what, you know, 18 inches looks like and you know how many actions is it going to take you to get to that strat so yep. that that's something where i think people on vassal get used to their auras and their precise measurements and it's easy for them in that way to remember the stuff and then if they move to the table all of a sudden it's like oh crap i forgot this trigger oh crap that's that that's too far away i'm two inches out now and i think vassal's bad for practicing for competitive in-game play for that perspective but not for reps as far as getting to know your crew so, yeah, I mean that happens both in Vassal and in the in the tabletop. Uh, well, I, well yeah, I don't I, I don't play Vassal, so I don't have to worry about that. Like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just recently, I had a game against a friend of mine, Wilson, a mm -hmm. friend of the podcast, and we were playing in Vassal, and I try to do what I normally do, which is I eyeball more or less a distance, because if you measure it, your opponent is going to start thinking about it. Yeah. It's one of those mind, mind games that you're trying exactly. to, you know, like, okay, so I'm not going to measure it, but I'm good enough that I know that if I put it around this location, I have it in my in the back of my, and I do it a lot. I, it's a thing that I do all the time. But even in Vassal, where I constantly see the same circles flash on the screen and, you know, I'm supposed to know where everything is, it's hard. So if you start uh, not practicing enough that, that skill, it's got to deteriorate regardless of if it's in person or in a vassal. Like, yeah, that's actually a thing that people should keep in mind. Yeah. And the one, I mean, I think so for me, the biggest thing that I agree with is playing with people around the world because there are definitely like dicks and you. I have people in the Midwest that I'd like to play. Uh, when I played Guild Ball, I knew a lot more international players. So I would like to play against people 
that were like from Steamforged or England or Poland or whatever. Absolutely. And, and that's the only part that's appealing to me is like playing people that I know, but aren't close by. That's the only part that had me contemplating even doing it. And then I did it during lockdown because for like a month, we couldn't go anywhere. And for two weeks, I think most of my friends and I, we legit, legitimately, you know, didn't go anywhere. And then obviously South Carolina loosened up a little quicker than other people. I did Vassal and I tried my damnedest, but like I told people, man, it, it just, Vassal felt to me like homework. Like it felt like work <laughs> and I get off work and I'm like, I don't want to be doing this. And it just, it, it wasn't fun. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff to remember when it comes yes. to Vassal. That's the main reason why I, I, I said it before I said it again. Whenever my friends want to play the game for the first time in Vassal, I like to be nearby. When you guys were going to play, I wanted to be there from the beginning because you guys noticed that the moment that I started, you know, being there, I was like, okay, do this instead. Lot, and you it was a lot fast. smoother. Yeah, it yeah. was a lot smoother. It's like, oh, I want to charge. I want to move. Okay, do this in this order, and then you're going to be fine. And you're like, oh, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And yeah, that's... Yeah. And I think the other big argument that I had was just that okay, we are playing, it's a tabletop game. It was made for models. It was made for miniatures. It's made to be visually appealing. And that interaction with a person face-to-face, -face, that's what yeah. tabletop games are. And Vassal tries to make it a 2D kind of chit game, right? Where it's just, right. you have these very, just these chits on the board and they represent things. And I'm not a big chit game fan. I've played a lot of historical chit games in the past and they, they, don't, they don't speak to me at all. And that's kind of the thing I was like, is if I'm going to get on my computer and spend two, three, four hours, mm -hmm. why am I going to play a 2D chit game when I could do some kind of, you know, like World of Warcraft or do something? No. That, you know what I'm saying, though, something, something where it's like more immersive, visually appealing, and there's a story behind it. And oh, wait, so I understand that sure. perfectly fine. That's true. I. I'm not gonna like going on the path. I was like, oh, you just don't have the the imagination. Because even though that I imagine the thing that I'm doing, that's a different thing. Because like whenever I see a little, like you said, the chit of the mature nephilim jumping across the table and smacking somebody, I don't just see a little chit moving over. I see the mature nephilim. You know, I imagine that it goes through yeah. my imagination. So it no keeps me very. Huh? Oh, yeah, it's got no imagination. Clearly, yeah, Clearly. apparently not. <laughs> but like, uh, the point is. Uh, Vassal is not to replace it. I use Vassal as a tool that allows me to try out any model, any model at any time. I was like, oh, I saw the rules for so-and-so. Let's proxy it real quick. Let's see what happens. Oh, this is how it works. I definitely want that model to spy it. Now, there's a you, lot of models. Let me, ask like you this. let me ask you this, Dixon, because I don't know if there's any correlation here. And Chris, you can chime in too. I, generally speaking, I hate proxying. I don't like looking at a model and it's not the thing. That's something mm -hmm. that I just, I'm not a big fan of seeing on the table. When we did the Cadmus game, it was kind of a pain in the ass trying to remember which model was which. Yes. So I don't know if there's a correlation there between like hating proxying and also hating this thing that's not the actual game. That There might be a link there, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, there there's definitely a link uh, when it comes to weird miniatures, not getting the support and the love that they you know, deserve with you buying the miniatures from them and then using them on the table. I, um, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I challenge weird to come up with the same type of game as Vassal where you put a code out in each one of your miniatures boxes that includes that boxes, you know, chits in the game. And then you can, 
you know, weird, please put out some type of, you know, 2D, 3D content of a, of a game to where it's like Vassal. It's just, it's only supported by you and you have to enter these codes in like Magic Arena. You know, you get codes from that and you get the deck of all the cards that you went out and, per, you know, purchased. You know, weird, do this. Like, it'll yeah, help a I lot. was going to say, I and people called it out and they're per, they're 100% right. They're like, man, you really seem to be attacking Vassal. I mentioned, I mentioned Tabletop Simulator, but... I have played a song of ice and fire and I have played uh, X-Wing on, on tabletop simulator. And those mods are actually good. I mean, you have actual models. It's the same thing with the, the God tier on tabletop simulator. You have actual models. There's actual like stuff you're moving around on the board. It, it's, it's sometimes a little more clunky, but to me, Oh, having a thing that represents a model is a lot bigger. And you're right, Chris, if, if we were to actually backed it up and gave you a decently detailed digital figure, that would be more incentive, I think, for people to enjoy playing Vassal. Whereas, like I, I, I said, it seems it. more like homework. So uh, the Tabletop Simulator mod, they actually had more detailed, like... Uh, yeah, somebody said they released that back in, like, October or something. Yeah, but the problem was that we didn't want that. The same thing happened with the Malifaux uh, Vassal uh, mod is allowed by Weird as long as it doesn't get very detailed. Like, they don't want it to be detailed. They really want it to be exactly what I, you hey, got. Hey, and I understand that because they yeah. have to sell models. That's how they exactly. make their money, right? They make money. So, yeah, and, and that's a point I made. It's like they got you got to make money and support the company. If you go to play online all the time and you don't buy models, because yes. people were like, hey, I'm still buying models even though I'm, not, I'm playing online. I kind of mm -hmm. call bullshit on that. I think there's a lot of people that play on. I'm, I'm not saying everybody takes it. I'm just saying I know there's people that play Vassal that don't buy the minis. Okay. That's because I they're mean, not playing in real life, so they're like, "I'll buy it later." Fair, that's but, fair. But I, if we were see if went like, under during the pandemic, yeah, that would one hundred percent been a big issue. I can definitely see somebody from like a country that has like no meta whatsoever, Australia, like parts of Australia where it costs. Australia's Australia's meta, meta, bro. No, no, no. Yeah. no I'm saying it, it. They have a meta, but it costs an arm and a leg to get shit out to Australia. Okay, I didn't know that part. I thought it was that was only GW. <laughs> I mean, no, I know everything. I know GW. You know, yeah, just rakes them across the coals for their yes. GW crack. <laughs> it's so terrible. But um, uh, things, for example, Shanty. I don't think uh, Shanty that has that many people playing at uh, New Zealand, who I just played recently. Mm -hmm. And even in New Zealand, there's a there's a there's a group of people playing because in my my uh, experience if there's somebody that plays in vassal that means that there's a group at least that already plays that means that there's models already mm. i haven't seen or heard what you're saying but i would not put it past somebody playing in vassal and yeah. not find the models i also like, I just haven't seen it yet i also think people need to chalk this up to that i'm starting to become a grumpy old man and yes i, I don't <laughs> want to talk with internet people all the time that's also fair I mean, because I get it that especially younger, you know, younger gamers, like especially getting you're like the people that are in their 20s right now. Mm -hmm. I understand that it's a lot of being constantly linked in on Discord, constantly linked in, talking to your friends online, constantly tweeting, constantly, you know, on all the social media, doing the Instagram, <laughs> and Instagram, TikTok, I, I understand Discord. that. Yeah. That's just not what I want to do. I like to actually engage with people face to face. I would 100 percent, thousand percent much rather be off my phone talking with people and playing games. But I want to get back to 
what Chris was saying earlier, that idea, uh, I put it up as a mobile game as an idea, and I I just never got a response. That literally said the exact same thing that you yeah. said, Chris. Because it's a, it's a great idea to add in people that don't play the game, because you don't have to get the well, code You, ha you have to keep in mind, here's the issue. You can buy it directly. What's here's up? The, I was going to say, here's the issue with that, though, right? Because, I mean, I think most people know Weird's a decently small company. It's not huge. Um, as far, especially tabletop wise, like, yeah, they got a great game, pretty small company. That being said, Vassal and other things like that are provided by free by basically your, your gamers. Like they're, yes. they're creating this stuff, creating this content, creating these apps. Yes. And if all of a sudden you want to make miniatures to go online, that's all of a sudden you're got to dedicate resources to do that. So, I mean, I totally understand why they don't. They already have it. All the pictures that you see on the boxes. They're they're 3D character models. I, I understand, but you still have to spend time and money to put that into a system to make it playable. Okay, that's not. You're right, but it would generate I, more income, though. In my I, I, yeah, I think as a as a mobile game, this shit is going to go so, bananas. And this is the last <laughs> thing. This is the last thing I'll say about it, just because I think honestly, I mean, you know, maybe as an old older guy, you know, in my late 30s, maybe this is something that. I'll be hesitant about, but I definitely would do because this would be cool is there's been a lot of people that I've listened to on like YouTube and different podcasts where it's very foreseeable in the next 10 years that when we sit down and play a tabletop game, there's actually nothing on the table, but we use our phones and we use maybe some kind of glasses or something to see the models on the board. Sure. Yeah. And, and then you manipulate what's on the tabletop that way. And like that would be Star cool Wars if you could do... chess. Exactly. There's yeah, already, that's what I'm saying. There's already been prototypes, not not prototypes per se, but there's been many, many board games that have tried it. Yeah, they're uh, expensive right now. Exactly. So so I think we're getting to the point that it's becoming very accessible and cheaper to eventually what you said is going to happen. Because I, I have literally in at Hosea Hobbies mm -hmm. multiple instances of games that people came in and tried to sell it in that way that you're talking about and they just wouldn't sell because it was prohibitively exempt yeah and that and i think that would link what vassal is trying to do and the positives of vassal with what i was complaining about what i was bitching about right because if i can see it on the table and then if you and me have a chat going where we see each other on you know the computer screen but i can also visualize what's happening on the table and i'm still getting that interaction from you i think it's not it's still not what I want 100% because obviously I still prefer the in-person, but I would be way more excited to do that than Vassal. Okay. So I'd be excited for that. Any last thoughts about Vassal, Chris? I concur. <laughs> You're lame. Lame. <laughs> you guys. Vassal is great, though, for one thing. You get to play against highly competitive people if you want. You don't have to, but you can. They're always yes. available. Either Dixon's always asking for a game, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, once, I get, is, once I get this job under control, I'm going to yeah. start going back to six to eight games in a, in a week. Well, and that's, that's kind of the funny thing, though, because I've, I've been bitching about Vassal and some other things, right? And I've had people like kind of talking about the podcast or like, oh, yeah, I thought you'd be like one of the lesser competitive ones on the podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm very competitive. I just bitch about Vassal a lot. It's like I get super mad when I lose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I when I said it, you guys would be in the 30s and the World Series at the at the least, I was like, not like I was being serious. Like this, these guys are actually better than you guys expect when you guys play them. 
don't believe their lives. Like, oh, I'm just a newer guy. I don't know much. Like, I don't that. say that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, shucks. See, see, the fact that I didn't say. <laughs> Chris does that it. for sure. <laughs> I definitely do not do that. I don't know what you're talking about. I always it's, ask. But see, it's it's not Chris. It's not that you say it. It's your persona. Like you come back as a laid back person. Personality. What the hell am I supposed to do? (laughs) Nothing. We're just saying that you come across that way, where it's like you're chill, relaxed. I'm just here to have fun. That's your. And then you just smash people. They're like, I thought you were having fun, man. Oh, Danny, I love Danny Dean's description of my playstyle. Is I'm like chill and laid back to the point that people think I'm dumb. And then it's a price. <laughs> and they're like, well, oh, shit, it's too well, late now. <laughs> Dixon, that was even when we were doing highly competitive guild ball. Like, you were playing yeah. you were playing some top-end players all the time. And you, came, you were in a competitive meta. And people would get you in a tournament. And you just would smack the shit out of them. And I remember when you beat Alex Botts. And people were like, what the fuck is happening here? Alex lost oh. round two to Dixon? What the <laughs> no, no. The fight, my favorite, my favorite thing about that term, and I, I said it multiple times, but it's still gonna be until I die. The, the guy that uh, Alex played after got twelve votes by rolled. Alex. Steam and then the right guy went up to Alex and went, "Who the hell beat you?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean like, I, I was I was literally next to that table, Dixon, and I was just looking at it, dude. It's like, dude, I'm sorry. It's like that's a that's a rough round three. <laughs> Playing a one-one game against the best player in the world. <laughs> and by far, like at that point in time, Alex was by far the best player. Like I know Mike towards the end, he became the best player in the world. But at that point in time, since we didn't what was the name of the other guy? The guy before Alex. Oh, we talked about that. It was Jordan, whatever. Yeah, Jordan Knack. So Jordan Knack was the first one. Then it was Alex. Then it got to become Mike Klein before the game died. And yeah. all those guys, like, well, actually, I never got the chance to play against Jordan. But I got to play against Alex and Mike, and I got to beat them eventually. And yeah. it was just, like, really weird games every time. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know... That's why I like competitive play because you're going, especially when you play against people you don't know, because you almost have to gauge kind of like the struggle before it even begins, right? And how aggressive they're going to be. And I, I mean, that's how Chris ended up getting a draw in the tournament we played in Colombia. Is he didn't realize how reserved John was playing with that ten thunder list, and by turn two and a half, I think Chris was like, "Oh, I have to be the aggressor and go." He was not going to cross the midline. Yeah, I mean. So that exact same thing has happened to me twice now against uh, the guy that I was just saying, Shanty from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. He is the most control-heavy player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like, hands down, best Molly player in the world. And every single time I play against him, I have to be either hyper-aggressive to the point of Jesus, you know, like I, I have to do something to like destroy the table. And if I don't get there, I lose. And we... Yeah. I, we played so far three times. He's won uh, twice and tied once. So I haven't actually beat him yet. <laughs> yeah, and looking at tournament play, I mean, I, I think that us three are, especially the more Chris and I get into, into uh, Malifaux, mm-hmm. I think we have a lot to speak on tournament experience because, I mean, personally, I've been playing in competitive tournaments for various games since probably 2010. That includes War Machine, Warhammer, uh, that includes Guild Ball and now getting into 
uh, you know, Malifaux. And I know, Chris, you were heavy into War Machine, very competitive for a while. And Dixon, same thing. I know you've been in various games. So we definitely got a lot to speak to it. So when I go to an event, the first thing that I want to see is, okay, what are the scenarios or what is kind of the round by round breakdown, right? Like, what am I going into each round? Because I think that's important, especially in Malifaux, when you're going to start narrowing down which masters you're going to bring. So looking at this, there's this is a three-round tournament we're going to. Uh, we'll kind of go into it kind of generally, and then we'll go into it more. But round one is going to be corner and break the line, which is interesting. Round two is wedge with turf war. And round three is flank symbols of authority. So before we go into analyzing kind of what we're thinking as far as pools go, I want to talk just generally, you're getting ready for a tournament that's roughly about a month away. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys do as far as Malifaux players getting yourself ready for a tournament? I don't know about you too, but I play the rounds. That's like the first thing I do is I look at the rounds that I have to play and I play them. I just at least get one, a couple of games with you know the masters that I want mm-hmm. for each round to get a feel for it. Yep. I don't try to go too much into it because I don't know if I'm going to be the attacker. I don't know if I'm going to be the defender. And I don't know how the table's going to be. Yeah. I try to get at least two masters per mission before I go into the tournament. Yeah, I was going to say the big thing that I think you want to do is you want to at least get one. I would say at least one. But I think you're right. Play at least twice the scenarios that you know of and then figure out which master you are more comfortable with playing in that. So I, I do the same thing. Chris and I were talking about it and we're like, okay, these are the two masters I would think for this round. And then I know Chris and I both are pl- planning on playing either one or both masters. It depends on how we feel. Yeah, I've got two masters picked out for each of the different uh, rounds, uh, depending on what uh, what gets what I get dropped into. Yeah, that's kind of what we were saying. Like, if Chris and I play in one of these rounds, we kind of go back and forth on, well, I could do this, but then if you do that, I got to do this. And you can really start going down a rabbit hole of interesting scenarios like, well, what if he drops Ivan? Or what if, you know, they drop this? And I, I will say to help Chris out, something that I did, because I think this is also important if you get multiple games in, is actually if you're kind of doing the sparring thing with a friend like Chris and I do, is I... I, I believe in actually giving them different looks. So I actually dropped a crew that I haven't played in a while. And I actually used a list that Dixon shared on the podcast. It I was, hate you, Dixon, so much. It, it was Lucius with two mature Nephilims. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, it was good, though, because Chris figured out how he could attack a more aggressive list like that. Because he kind of spread out a little too thin, and the Nephilims just came in and just ate stuff They're off. They're going to eat you up, man. Like, the biggest thing is... You don't realize how much is giving a mature Nephilim and it, like a couple of extra actions a turn is because it's not fast, it's all right, concentrate again, or move over here, or charge that person. You know, you just and, well, and, and, and that's what was happening is I would go, I activated one mature first, right? I ended up doing a bunch of damage to Ivan, and then I activate Lucius, I command the mature, but then I also command a lawyer to then obey the mature. So, I mean, it's four attacks in the first two activations, and luckily he had enough stones to not die immediately. So, and an additional, additional, because it's very important to, to keep this in mind. Uh, Lucius is different than obeying with Sorida because Sorida is an attack. Yeah. Lucius is not. Therefore, 
any concealment, any minuses to the attack or like interruptions for anything that would be like defensive doesn't apply because it's a tactical action. So it's, it's 12 inches, it's a five, and you can technically obey the same mature twice during your activation for however many um, changelings you have. No, changelings. Oh, changelings, okay. If you have a changeling around you, you can have, and the changeling can see the mature, you can obey the changeling to then obey the mature. Yeah. And then you draw a card in the process. Yeah, so, you can do the same thing with a lawyer. It's just cheaper to do it with the uh, changeling. Correct. Significantly cheaper and better because the changeling needs a seven, whereas the lawyer needs a nine. Yeah. So uh, it's oh a nine of mask. Do we? Yeah, they need they need a mask as well. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. So, but I was I used that example because one, it kind of breaked up the monotony for me because I was like. Chris, I don't want to play Maw on you again. We've done that like the last five games. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to give you a different look. And I think that's important when you're getting ready for a tournament that especially when it's two players, you can get used to each other really easily, especially if you play the same crews over and over again. So that's why I think it's important to be like, hey, think about this. So I put in a control, had some false witnesses putting out the, you know, all the schemes and stuff. And then also just had these matures eating up his squishy models. However, Ivan can put out a decent amount of damage on those matures. I was actually kind of surprised. Uh, additional bonus from the matures is that they're only willpower five against Ivan specifically. Yeah, and their thing where you can't cheat is only with a melee attack option. So you get around that too. I was like, yep, that's pretty good. That's what Chris needs to do next time. Yep. yep. And I don't know, Dixon, you can probably speak to more of the international meta. Mm. Uh, I don't know if Nakima is kind of starting to fall out of favor in GG2 or people still bring her pretty heavy. Uh, yeah, the, she's she's incredible in, in Turf War and anything that has a very uh, killy scheme pool because you go in, you cut down probably half the opponent's crew before mm -hmm. turn three, and then you score schemes. Just ride it out. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, I was actually telling Chris, too, that I think it with Break the Line especially, I think you're seeing a lot more of crews like Nelly, where they're putting out a lot of denial for you to interact, or they get a lot of positives if you interact near them. So I told him that's another crew that that's the type of thing you need to think where they're not going to necessarily kill you, but they're going to make it difficult for you to interact. Yep. I mean, it's actually happened. Uh, somebody was playing Turf War with Nelly, and people were trying to flip the Tor 4 markers because most of the native crew doesn't have a melee attack mm -hmm. just to find out, oh shit, <laughs> they control the the interact action. So you, you want it. me to just like restart a little bit of that story? So I'm going to I'm gonna make myself a drink. Hold on. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, so you can go ahead and start with uh, what you're... So you left off Dixon with uh, they don't have oh, a melee. So, oh shit, they, they have no melee attack and then they can just flip it to their side and you have to constantly kill the model but if you kill the model the the uh, turf war marker was still in neutral so it doesn't actually do anything yeah and then they were like waiting until the very last activation and just flip it over i'm like you piece of shit. <laughs> this is yeah, so annoying. And, yeah and i think that's good though because that gave i think the pool gives you know crews like nelly and lucius and scheming you know crews like that a really good opportunity to be super effective yeah I mean, uh, detonate charges, the inclusion of detonate charges uh, spread them out in any strategy. It makes it so that the daily crew is actually a very good pick because that's eight points that they can get very easily. Okay, so yeah. what I want to do is I want to go kind of quickly through the pools 
And I just want to do quick thinking of what type of masters you guys think would be good in this pool or what you would like to bring and take in this pool. So I'm going to start kind of with round one is going to be corner, break the line. The schemes are claim jump, deathbeds, outflank, spread them out and bait and switch. Yeah. I mean, round one, you're in a corner. So I don't know about you guys, but anytime there's corner, I think, what are my fastest crews? In your case, it's going to be Matt, probably. Either Ma or Zip. Yeah. Did you say Ma? Like, well, the reason why I say Ma it's is... Virginia thing. Yeah. <laughs> because Ma can uh, have sh- uh, from the Shadows models. Well, I was going to say, so this one, the reason I would like Ma into it is because... It has outflank, which is perfect for bringing, you know, the yeah, the bushwhackers. Absolutely hate them. <laughs> and I was telling Chris, I'm like, even so, if I'm playing a crew that has, you know, from the shadows, mm-hmm. even if you're not thinking about, even if you want to bluff outflank, still mm-hmm. bring those from the shadow models to try and force your opponent to go engage with them to prevent from scoring the point. But you can bluff them and not even take that one and take something else. Yep. I will say also. I'm surprised how good the Bushwhackers rifles are. Oh, they're they're really good at killing like cheap minions. They <laughs> are. Shit, great. Oh my god! It, it was second round of the Spanish tournament that I was playing because I there's a Spaniard vassal tournament that was yeah. happening. And first activation, first activation of turn one, he concentrates and shoots at the Bandersnatch. Ooh. Oof. And he ignores cover, so he just straight up against my defense, right? In his hand, he has a um, red joker and a 13 of something. I forgot what it was. And he and I know he's going to hit me. I'm a flip minus already, so I'm not going to do anything crazy because he's already concentrated. So he cheats down to still be a one above me with a 9 of uh, crit, critical strike. Nice. And he cheats in the red joker and one-shots the Bandersnatch. First activation, second action of turn one. I don't know, Chris, your Nocturne that was, uh, got blown up pretty good, too. <laughs> that was my Vendetta. Oh. I lost the game immediately at that point. I was like, there's no way for me to what win this. What do I now. do? <laughs> I don't <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I killed the, the fucking whatever, that stupid model. The, the Bushwhacker? The Bushwhacker, eventually, but I didn't give a fuck. Yeah, the Bushwhacker <laughs> it doesn't matter. They're nasty. Yeah. He yeah, I mean, they're... Killing... they're they're cheap minions. They have stealth. They have a decent gun. They put out pit traps and they're like, yeah, they're going to die when you get into them, but they're going to make it kind of hell getting into them. I will never make the same mistake twice. He killed, let's see, he's killed an operative with them. He's killed a nocturne with them. Yeah. Like one shot killing them. One shot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Concentrate. Take a shot. I win. Yep. They're range 14, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's super dumb. Yeah, so I mean, I would bring models like that definitely from the shadows. Where you, if you're taking out flank, you can either deny it for your opponent, or you can score it depending on what you want to do there. Uh, what about you, Chris? With that pool, what's something that you're like? You look at that pool and you're you're automatically thinking what types of models or what types of master you want want to bring. Yeah, I need speed. So Anya is going to be my first choice, uh, depending on the uh, the drop that I drop into. Ivan is another second choice because surprisingly, Ivan is very fast. Yeah, don't let the speed four fool you. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Did he teleport with Shadow Step? Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and he sets well, up have, the stupid little shadow gateway. I crap. have shadow step, and I have the shadow gate from get uh, from Gibson. And you know, you could push that marker. You know, it just has to start six inches from the other marker. You could then push it with you know models that can interact with markers, and you can get that thing all the way you know middle of the table. Middle of the table. Yeah, That's, I think there's I think there's two ways uh, to play this pool. I think either you can do the outflank and then also play the spread them out game. Hmm. And you can try for those kind of two two schemes, or you can actually go to uh, the other way, and you can do claim jump, try to claim the middle, and then just try to do things like deathbeds or um, bait and switch because you're going to control the middle a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a couple ways to play this pool, but I think those are the two general ways that you're going to try to play it. Yeah, mm-hmm. really, it's really going to fall onto uh, what you get dropped into. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's important to realize, like, are you going to be the finesse player in each game or are you going to be the beater? Like, are you trying to go kill stuff or are you trying to finesse and scheme and kind of move around the table? Yeah, I like being the beater. We all know I like being the beater, but uh, I'm getting uh, I'm getting more heavily involved in finesse here recently. Well, I, and I think that'll make you a better player to realize when it's like, I shouldn't I shouldn't try to butt heads super hard here and I should delay it because I think that's important. Like there's been times, Chris, where I think where you get in trouble is when you don't recognize when you're kind of outmanned there as far as like punishing people. And then all of a sudden half your crew's dead and now you have no competitive competitiveness in the game. So it's true. It's absolutely true. <laughs> I, okay. So mod is a perfect fit for that. And you said, I'm assuming either Ivan or Anya for you. Yeah, Ivan would be my first choice. I mean, to I'm, be fair, to be fair Anya, though, Anya would be my first choice. In-person tournaments, you're there's only technically there's five masters because you can count Bass and you can count uh, McCabe. I don't I haven't heard any explorer player telling anybody to bring McCabe. I don't think that's a thing anymore, especially since you got nerfed a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> you, I'm, listen, I'm just speaking <laughs> generally. Dude, they took him out back and took out his knees. So, but that's what I'm saying. And I don't know. Bass has some cool matchups that he's like he can counter a little bit. So he's not like impossible that you're going to see him. And I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Bass can actually deploy a little bit up the board too. Uh, yeah. Um, on average, they deploy seven inches up the board because yeah. it's one per every model that's on the crew, and usually they go in with seven. I've seen people come in with like nine, but. You know. Yes, yeah, so I, I don't think Bass is terrible on that board. I mean, Bass can do some interesting things. Uh, actually, Explorers is really good at, at branching out from the deployment because even Cadmus can do the. Uh, I forgot the name of the the list, but it's a uh, the, the 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 creeper, the enforcer creeper that I was making jokes when we were talking about the mm-hmm. Cadmus problem. Yeah. Uh, apparently, there is a list that is specifically running that one, but it's considered one of the weakest versions of Cadmus, but still really strong. Yeah, but Cadmus hmm. isn't uh, isn't their entire list isn't going to be out by the time. They turn yeah, so we won't have to oh. worry about Cadmus. Do you know if they allow proxies? They will not. Okay, uh, uh, that's what John was saying, right? Tracking. I didn't see that. My, unless I missed it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't see. It. I didn't see anything in there about proxies, but. I I would not be a fan of it, and honestly, if I saw it, and I'd be like, "Listen, dude, if you want the win, you can play Cadmus. I'm not going to play it. And if you want to play just a friendly exhibition game, then let's do it." <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, it, like it, if he's okay with people proxying it, that it might be a problem depending on how much of the proxying is going to be. Jeff, I, just, I, I think it'd be too though. messy. That I mean, being said, huh? 
See, I think it's just too messy with those models. Yeah. It's very messy and it's time consuming. Yeah. If someone drops Cadmus, I'm, you know, I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on the clock and I'm going to call a shenanigan whenever, you know, they start rounding me out because that's going to piss, that'll piss me off. I mean, I really like both Sorita and Lucius for Break the Line, but this is corner deployment, so yeah, I guess I Lucius. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I take the the, the Hooded Rider, Sorita's going to be in the middle of the table pretty soon. Yeah, I mean... It's not a problem. I, th- I think it just depends, once again, like, are you trying to do the kind of spread them out and outflank type scenario, or are you trying to be in the middle and engaging there? No, just spread out, grab as many objectives as you possibly can, because this yeah. this pool is very interactive. You don't need to start fighting each other out. I like the death bets. I like the claim jump. I'll flank, spread them out, everything. Everything here is something. Bait and switch is a little hard to pull off the first point uh, because it's corner deployment, but the, uh, the the last part, the second one, you can easily score one point just off of bait and switch. Just yeah. say it. And you're done. Yep. I mean, because you're, you're right. The, the deployment is so small that I, I think it's they have to have more than one model in your deployment. They have to have more than – so I have to have eight points or more of models on in your, your deployment. In your deployment, yeah. So yeah. a normal six-point silhouette won't make it, you know, something stupid like that. Yeah. Your, your Bayou Smuggler or whatever the hell you use that they'll pour all over the place, the the – Miner, the Soulstone Miner. Oh yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. Have we I, uh, have we gotten a ruling from uh, Weird about the first part of uh, Bait and Switch? Yes, it's more than four inches from the center. So you have to you have to lure them four inches away from the center to get yeah, the first. Yeah, you have to be at four or more. You cannot be within just within the four. You have to. I mean, that more. makes that that makes it more scorable. Makes it way way easier. Yeah, absolutely. What? It's on your side of the field and farther than four inches from the yeah, side. Yeah, but what I'm saying is you used to have this tiny circle. If it's a scheme-heavy pool, you have the entire your entire side of the board, whereas you, exactly what Pete's saying, you used to have a four-inch diameter half circle. That's the only way that you could get it to score. And now you have your entire your, – you have the entire board. Especially in corner where it's split diagonally, there's so much more real estate now for you to score that first point. Okay. Especially with outflank and especially with spread them out. I mean, I was thinking more along the lines of your opponent doesn't want to cross the midline. They do if it's spread them out and outflank, though, don't you think? Uh, I mean, I can be at the midline. Yeah, outflank <laughs> is at the midline, but... Uh... Yeah. Well, well, and that's the thing, though, is like if you're trying to do that, you, you bring models that have things like, I don't know, maybe I bring Trixie and I'm luring people, or maybe I bring, you know, a Nephilim and I get the shove aside trigger. So there's different ways to force your opponent to give you that point. Yes. Give him the old Sean Connery treatment. Yeah. I don't consider it easy, but you're right. All of those things are available. It's much easier than being, you know, within that four inches. Well, because, yeah, think of the opposite where it's like, okay, you have an opponent that's, they're not doing claim jump. They're not coming anywhere near the center. Mm-hmm. Now that point's just not available. So it does open it up, but you're right. It's still very positional. Yeah. Okay, so let's kind of look at the other ones. And we're not going to go through like all the different crews because we want people, the listeners, to think general things. If we think of a 10 Thunder or we think, you know, a Guild Master that fits good in that scenario, we'll definitely mention it. Because the reason I, I, I like what you're saying, because I was going to say we could say things like uh, for Death Bits, bring somebody that has flat false claim. 
to look into your or your faction and start finding people that have things like false claim because mm -hmm. it throws out, you know, those uh, skew the markers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, things false like witnesses. Bleeding. Yep. Things like bleeding edge also important. Uh, so <sighs> Anya edge. becomes even better. Things like uh, Parker's uh, drop a you know drop them trigger. Yep, drop them triggers. Amazing. Spread them out for the same exact reason. Uh, spread them out is a little bit harder because you have to be more than 10 inches away, correct, yeah. Chris? Yep. Yeah, but uh, yeah, as far as I can see, death bits, outflank, and spread them out. I'm oh, sorry, death bits and, and spread them out are easy to pull out. Outflank and claim jump, since they're so well known, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where your opponent can really start to prevent you from scoring those points. So that's what I was saying is like, you see outflank, a lot of people like to bring it. So I almost would be like bringing two bushwhackers and just try to lure them to the outflank. And then eventually I reveal it and I'm like, oh, by the way, didn't have it. I just keeping you busy over there. <laughs> Claim yeah. jump, whatever. You can bluff it. Yeah, by, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah you can bluff it. Um, uh, put put by, down a scheme marker for nothing. Right, 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 right. Just drop a scheme marker and leave the corner. Yep. And then you can just like surprise, I'm back here. Just yeah. something stupid like that. I, I had a com uh, conversation with a friend of mine. He had a uh, um, little girl from the Yoko, the totem. He had yeah. it all the way to a corner. It automatically made me think, oh, that's gotta be our flank. And at the end, it took it. It did came out that it was our flank. And I told him, I was like, if you did the exact same thing that you did, but you didn't take out flank, I would act the exact same way and try to stop you, and lose because of it. Yeah, because, and that was one thing that um, I think Chris and I were playing symbols last time. And I think I brought Gracie over to deal with an operative. And Chris still got the point before Gracie got there. And then Gracie was so out of position, she really didn't matter the rest of the game. So that's kind of what you're saying, Dixon, is if you can get, a, especially an important model like that out of position, not only are you, even if you don't score the point, you might win the game just because that important model came over for no reason. Yep. It's like, uh, did you have a four-point model here to score a point? Not, but you are nine-point, I mean, 11-point Archie because you put an upgrade on it. It's over here. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. It's a great trade, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So looking at round two, we have wedged, we have turf four, and then the schemes that are in that second round are Breakthrough, Hidden Martyrs, Vendetta, Let Them Bleed, and Research Mission. Uh, man, I tell you, this one just looks like a bloodbath to me. Ivan <laughs> all day long. Ivan. This is Chris's favorite round. I don't think Ivan would be the best for this one. You don't think so? I like I Ivan into this. I mean, I guess. Uh, Hidden Who Martyrs. Would you say? Who would you say? I mean, not Anya either. I mean, when I'm looking at this one, I mean, if you have a Killy range crew, like I'm looking at this, and if the board looks good, I'm probably slapping Kin down. And then if the board doesn't look good, it looks a little cluttered. Maybe I'm bringing Maw because Maw can kill like Mother too. Yeah, I mean, I really like Cooper on this one. Yeah, if the board's good, Cooper would be pretty good into it. Yeah, it would. Because you got pit trap markers, you got corpses, you got like. Uh, scrap, skin markers, so you can do research very easily. And yeah, and I, I think the big difference that, Chris, you need to be thinking about with, because I know the game you had with Apex, you weren't super impressed, but I also want you to keep in mind that you really didn't have the Malasaurus Rex to kind of be running around, and that's a big difference. With, I, like When I play Cooper, 
I don't want to play Cooper if I don't bring the Malasaurus Rex. That's just me. Okay. Like, like I like the robot. That robot is Model Nine. Money. Yeah, he does have some cool. But you can bring both. Why not both? Right. <laughs> you can get, come on. If you have the dinosaur, you have to bring the dinosaur. I don't. I don't like the dinosaur with Cooper. I love the dinosaur with Titania. You don't like the dinosaur to cause terror in the eyes of your opponent while you shoot them with Cooper? Because he blocks line of sight. Okay, he can go kill some other shit. You don't need to kill I, the same thing. Uh, see, that's the thing. Model 9 allows to do both. You can kill something and set up the next skill for Cooper. I yeah, fucking and, love that guy. Yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> but I'm saying like there's playability there because you can split off and go terrorize people with the dinosaur. And that'll keep people off Cooper, so you can shoot and kill other things. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can play that out. Yeah, I mean, this is just a difference in style, Pete. It's like the same thing with you playing Ma with Bert. Like I wouldn't play Ma with Bert, but that doesn't he make always it always plays Ma with. Oh, Bert. exactly. Not, not always. <laughs> not always. I mean, dude, I can tell you what I posted those pictures of Chris and I playing the. It was mm-hmm. uh, Ivan versus Ma, mm-hmm. and I brought the. Because I, I, I will tell you, bringing, not bringing a Willpower 6 model is a huge deal against Ivan. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, it is. I brought all constructs, and then that includes the Whiskey Golem, and it was fun, man. And it had some playability. I liked it. Yeah, Mordrake. Uh, I think it's Mordrake. Somebody has deaf uh, hands in that faction. I think it might be Mordrake or the uh, Brock Inspector. It's the only thing that the Whiskey Golem is afraid of. Yeah. It's like, oh, you actually do irreducible damage? Well, fuck. <laughs> yeah, Whiskey Golem ended up dying, but that's because I, I literally ran it into the corner to kind of engage like half of Chris's crew. So it, it worked out well, though. Wait, but, did you play the Whiskey Golem without Sparks? No, I brought, I brought Sparks, but that was... So that's what Chris and I got into because yeah, we actually played... Sparks. He, he uh, mispositioned Sparks. Yeah, well, I, I should have kept Sparks and I should have kept the Whiskey Golem with Maw and maybe a test subject or two there and then just ran up the middle and just kind of did claim jump and did a couple other things as well. But it, I split off a little bit and really got out of position. So um, just well, I less lured, I lured him. I mean, I didn't lure, but well, I, I, I did bring out off. Flank. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I did bring out Flank, so I was trying to salvage Pre- yes yeah, so i was trying to still get the points there and like dixon was saying in the in that first round we just talked about your opponent can make it very difficult to score out flank yeah and, and you did kudos i did because there's multiple you have you killed the person that's why when we were talking about the episode gg2 i said if you're gonna score out flank you might as well send two pairs of models to each corner yeah like each side because they have to protect themselves you have to have kind of like a bodyguard or a guarantee that you're going to score the point yeah so round two uh dixon i don't know what you like into that pool with turf war and then some of those killy and there's a it, it randomly also has research mission and and breakthrough so there is a little scheming that you can do there mm. but i think with hidden martyrs vendetta let them bleed and turf war I mean, I think this. some people are going to take this and just go for Bloodbath. This is the perfect strategy for uh, uh, Anya. Titania, yeah. Oh, Titania. Like, perfect everywhere. Oh, yeah, you got, you got research, you can kill shit, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Literally, there's nothing here that doesn't say Titania. I mean, hell, depending well, on who I'm playing wedge. against, I can do Vendetta. What's up? I say, and it's Wedge, so if you yep. have a crew that super likes to get into it, it, it doesn't take much to get there. Yep. 
yeah, so I, I think that's good, but you could definitely bring breakthrough. I mean, I would either probably do kin or maybe I would even do zip into this because zip would be really good for zip can kill, zip can break through, zip can do hidden martyrs, you can do research mission with zip. There's a lot of playability there for I think Maw, Zip, or Kin. It's really for me hinging on what's the faction I'm playing against, what's the board look like. Yeah, I'm really hoping that Pete and I go up uh, against each other round two and I drop Ivan and he drops Zip. Oh, I, I, so I would not beautiful. drop Zip against an Explorer crew round two Chef's in this pool. It'd be it'd be perfect. perfect. Because, because I think if I know that you're dropping Explorers here, I can probably tell you 100% it's going to be Maw just because it's Wedge so I can get up India quick. And I mean, I can just do Maw things pretty quickly. Do Maw things pretty quickly. I like that. I like that. Yep. And if I, mean, I have a... If I have a beater crew, then it, it's going to be able to do some beating pretty good. I still want to see this match where um, Wong is good, but... I mean, <laughs> I mean Wong, so that's the thing, though. It's like in, in a lot of these, especially with um, round one, I could bring Wong into that. Hmm. And the, there's a couple... Wong's a dark horse, so it's hinging on okay, is my opponent going to know what's happening? Like, are they, you know, hip to the jive? Right. And if the answer is no, I could I could play Wong and win. If the answer yeah. is yes, then I'm... And that's the thing about competitive versus... If I was a non-competitive player, like some people think I am, apparently, I would play Wong there because I'm like, oh, I'm going to play this. I can, pro I can maybe win, you know? But if I'm playing against an equal player... And I'm playing the lesser master. It's like, okay, well, I'm handicapping myself. So now I have to play even better than if I was playing just the straight up good shit, you know? So I hear you. But at the same time, I like that match because you have the ability to drop schemes on the corners. You're correct. And then use the pick up ball to just chuck people across the table, both sides of the table. Oh, yeah. I, so honestly, I could, I would. <laughs> I would not bring Wong into round two because all of his stuff dies super easy. But, oh, but I was talking about uh, on round one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah round definitely one. Definitely do outflank like super easy at least one point. And then people were like, wait, wait, so, you got points? So if I'm going <laughs> against a newer player round one, like yeah. if, if I'm playing Chris, I'm not going to drop Wong just because Chris knows what's going on there. But if I'm playing a newer player and I want to, you know, I want them to, you know, not get super steamrolled or something, I'll drop Wong there because I know I can still get my points there and still do the thing. Right. But as but as far as like against, you know, somebody who's a seasoned player, not going to drop, well, I don't know, it's kind of tough. I guess I could, but yeah. like I said, I feel like I'm handicapping myself a little bit there. Mainly because mm -hmm. Wong's not super fast unless you're just chucking people in the pig pole. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking about because the thing is that Wong hits you from across the table. He just has to be able to see where he's hitting. <laughs> I mean, I might bring the pig pole in round one just to chuck chuck pigs and chuck models. Yeah, I mean, I in my opinion, that model is OP. But <laughs> apparently I'm alone in this belief. You, so. you want me to dump like 16 points into like one trick with with Pierre, Pierre uh, Ravier or whatever his name is. Oh, Pierre Ravache. Yeah. That's not 16 Bill, points. Pete was telling me about that one. It seems it's, a little It's 15. If it's, it, it's, it's somewhere between 14 and 16 points. All right, 15. We're on round two, guys. We're on round all right, two. All right, all right. Fine, 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 fine. <laughs> Sorry, Real Dad. Dixon, Dixon's backtracking. Um, yeah, so, I mean, turf war, you just want, I mean, you're going to have to 
I think you want range killing somewhere on your crew for turf four. Just that way you can react to either neutralize their markers or, you know, kill kill a model to... I don't, I, really, I think the range attacks are just to neutralize there so you can deny them points. That What I was going to say is if you're not playing Ophelia turn uh, round two, Pete, I don't know what you're doing, really. Because round two, that screams to me Ophelia. Well, that's what I said. Is like that I, I would play Ophelia there unless the board makes it not... Not conducive. Oh, I heard Maw. That's what I heard. I went Maw and the Explorers. Oh, so you... What really? You don't think that Ophelia has what it takes to kill? Explorers? It depends. It depends on the board again. Plus, you have uh, what's his face. Um, Rami is really good against uh, like Ivan specifically. <laughs> so, no, Ma or, uh, Ophelia has playability. And if the board's good, that's probably what I'm dropping. But uh, it's all about the board with Kin. It's all about the board. It's do you have good avenues of fire? If you don't, then you can't really bring them. Okay. All right. Anything else that sticks out? I mean, to me, this is just kind of like, okay. I stick by my statement. Ivan's a killy crew. I like Ivan. He can be a killy crew for sure. Especially just, in Wedge. That close. I'm in I'm in their deployment in the middle of everything, turn one. I just don't like that Ivan doesn't have a safe way to flip the turf war markers. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can flip the ones on your side. That's going to be the important part, right? Yeah, I mean, so you can get your three and then just try to do your schemes. I mean, and then if you get your schemes, you're essentially at seven points right there. So if you get the middle and your two, I mean, you got it. Yeah, and to be honest. Well, like, I mean, he is a summoner as well. You can't forget about that. So he's, you know, he's hopefully getting some Brock Inspectors or Davas into the mix. Yeah, but in, they're only going to be good for killing. Which is fine because that's one of the key points of turf war. Okay. Neutralize your enemy's side of the board. I don't know if they've ruled on it, but I don't remember if summon models can unflip a uh, turf war marker. Do you mean neutralize? Yeah, if you kill somebody, I don't know if a summon model unflips it. So me personally, the way I would interpret that, unless somebody told me different from weird, mm -hmm. is the summon model obviously can't you know manually flip and interact you know the the strategy just because that's not a thing anymore but if they kill a model the trigger isn't from them killing it it's if a friendly model dies your enemy can neutralize so even if your summon model dies your enemy can use that to flip markers. I, yeah i would absolutely but think so that was because for anything on for anything of us, like at me as the enemy, if I kill a someone model, it's fine. But anything that is theirs, it may as well be an insignificant model. That was that was the original uh, thing. That's, yeah, yeah, because yeah, insignificant models that they kill, then that doesn't count for this rat. Well, I don't remember. That's the problem. And, mm -hmm. and I think I'm gonna have to like ask that question in the uh Yeah, I think so. Yeah, find that it is, out. I definitely will. Yeah. We may actually get the answer before the end of the podcast. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so, yeah, that one's just, uh, I like that one. That one, you're kind of, you know, bashing heads, and it's going to happen real quick because it's wedged. So that one's going to be aggro as hell. Okay, and then round three, we got flank, symbols of authority, which I actually like that deployment with that strat a lot. And then we have the schemes, detonate the charges, assassinate, catch and release, and then research mission and deathbeds. 
this is the one that when we showed this to Dixon, Dixon was like, man, this kind of screams Anya for Chris. It's Anya all day long, unless I'm against Pete. If I'm against Pete, it's going to be one of those questions. What's Pete dropping? Because if Pete drops zip into Anya, he's got the better master. Well, and that's kind of the fun part about Malifaux. It's kind of like, it's, it's this kind of gambling slash bluffing, which master am I going to bring? And yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, Anya likes putting out those scheme markers and Zip's crew and even Ma's crew has the like ability to, to remove them. them. Yep. Yep. And you've got speed and I've got speed. So it's, it's just a, you know, a yeah, mesh. I, I, yeah a I like, I like research mission in this one. If you have a crew that can put markers down, this pool's really good for you because you can do research mission and you can do things like deathbeds, um, even detonate the charges. So if, if you're a big like marker crew, this is going to be a good one for you, I feel. I mean, this thing screams to me of uh, whatchamacallit, um, either Marcus or Lucius. Yeah, I mean, I could see Lucius in that. Why do you like Marcus? Because Symbols of Authority, Lucius has two cats, and then both cats have Leap, and you can just you know, jump over somebody, move six inches or seven inches with flight, and grab an objective. Oh, you're talking about Marcus there. Yeah. Okay. Either or. Like, if, if it's Lucius, Lucius has the fly matures. Yeah. Yeah. So either either of them is actually really good because you get extra movement, extra actions. Uh, Nekima is also incredibly good at this, but I don't know if the schemes, other than assassinate and catch and release... Those are the only two. So I think there's just two telegraph. But I guess if you're too good, if you're good enough with Nekima, this is probably going to be fine anyway. You're like, all right, I'm going to kill you regardless. Well, so <laughs> you got to think, though, this is symbols. So you've always got one type of marker on the enemy's side right there. Yeah. So you can always just go kill a model that's right next to it, drop a corpse marker, and then get a scheme marker, and then you've got research mission. So... That's one of the things that I've always liked about any any type of scenario that has Order. a strategy that has a marker. Research mission is kind of a it, well, and like 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 you're saying, Chris, by anything you do a like crew that. like I could do Maw or I could do Zip, and I put a piano marker down, or I put you know the pit trap markers, and then I just put a ski marker down. And I don't even have to interact interact with yeah, my you don't opponent. have to do anything. Yeah, exactly. As a matter of fact, I can even bluff that and just when I put out my pit traps, I can just put it next to one of the strategy markers just to make you think that's what I'm taking. And yeah. I think that that's the interesting part, Dixon, that I'm starting to get into is starting to realize like how I can bluff a scheme or how I can start to read if my opponent's bringing a scheme. And that's where I think it's starting to get really fun is I'm starting to be like, okay, I'm not going to take this, but I'm going to throw a random scheme down here to make them think I might be. It's kind of like that scene from Princess Bride, right? Yes. Can't choose the cup in front of me. I clearly cannot cup the, grab the cup in front of me because you are strong. And <laughs> like, you just, I think you're bluffing. And being strong, you must realize that man is mortal. So clearly I cannot <laughs> use the wine in front of you. <laughs> That's so dumb. Uh, love it. It's a good um, movie. It's a good movie. You can't say oh, yeah. it's a good movie. Love the movie, but yeah. <laughs> so any other just thing? I mean, I think obviously we said markers. Um, this is one where you got to have a mobile crew just because you got to go get the symbols. Uh, let me ask you, and I think I know Dixon's answer, but we'll see if you guys have different thoughts here. When you're putting the symbols down for your opponent to go after, 
Are you more of a person that likes to spread them out or are you a person likes to put them in the same area so you can deny it and they have to come through you to get them? Depends on the crew. No, I'm, I'm the second type. That's what I was trying to say. I, I put one on the far other corner. And it's mm -hmm. like, if you grab that one, fuck it. There's nothing I can do about it. And the rest of them you put... And then I put three of them. Back. Yeah. Yep. That way I could defend them. Yeah, it depends on the crew. It depends on what I'm doing. If I'm already planning on spreading out, I'm going to spread them out. That way it makes you spread your forces out to try and go after them and I can pick you off easier. But um, the majority of the time, I'm you know I'm on Dixon's side. I will uh, I like to force the enemy to go through me. I kind of I kind of tend to do this a little more reactive. I actually tend to spread them out, but I do two and two. Mm. And I what I do is I try to read the opponent and see which way they're trying to take their main force, mm. and then I almost try to outflank them when they go that way. So if I see them go off to one area to go towards those two with their main force, I'm going to take my hitters and flank them and then go send my scheme runners and stuff out to go get them. Um, I have done the same thing that both of you have done, though, as well, where I spread them out and I just say, go get them and I'm going to try to outrace you. And then I've also done Dixon's thing where it's like, I'm going to put most of them here and I'm just going to kill you before you can get any of them. Yeah, it depends yeah. on what kind of crew I'm playing. Do I like Am I a killy crew? Am I a spread out crew? Am I a quick crew? Yeah, and th that's one of the big things about Malifaux is really just reading kind of like what the game, what's happening in game. Like you, it, it's, there's a very famous kind of Magic the Gathering article where it talks about the beatdown. So you have to realize who's the beatdown in the game and who's going to be the one that's going to be doing the most killing, who has the advantage in killing. Do you want to be doing that game or do you want to avoid that and get your points somewhere else? So you have to make that analysis during the point when you're choosing your schemes you have to yeah. look at what they brought and said i can't fight that or okay i can fight that if this scenario plays out and there's two more types that i, I like to point out sure uh there's control which i know that it's implied but there's an actual specific type of control sure. like i have played now a couple of guys only one of them shanty being the the the, the most successful one at it because so far, I haven't been able to figure it out. You just make it so expensive that your opponent cannot yeah, economy, actually right? achieve anything. Yes. The other one, um, I mean, the other one is, is you can tax without actually being in control. For example, uh, I was when we were playing against Brandon in the tournament, mm -hmm. he made two of my beaters completely useless. They were like slow, distracted. Oh yeah, uh, stunned. Like there were a whole bunch of stupid crap on them, and they were like, "Well, I do one thing, and it's useless because I can't really do anything." Yeah, Chris, uh, Chris <laughs> felt that a lot when I was playing Pandora against him in in that one stream or the uh, recorded game we did, Chris, where literally there was a couple times where even your master was like, you know, stunned, slowed, and some yeah. other nonsense on him. And it's like I'm gonna get one action and a bonus out of this, or I'm going to get one action, one action, and yep. it just feels terrible. And I, I wish I had a better way to describe it, but like, there is a difference between offensively taxing people and com you know, controlling a, a crew. Yeah, because yeah, you, you can control areas too, right? Like I can put right. a model with two-inch reach on a strategy marker or buy it where you can now not interact with this unless you have some kind of special ability. Yes. Uh, one of the favorite things that I like to do with, with Sorida is if a beater is like way too oppressive, 
I can double obey him completely out of the, the, the zone. Just like, all right, just double walk that way. Well, that's what I that's what I almost did with uh, Chris's Winudo one time. I had, <laughs> I had a Bokur, and I ended up obeying it, and I was just going to make that some bitch just wheel the hell away. Uh, I think Chris had like a 13 in hand, though, so he, he just barely made it where it didn't go off. But yeah, obeys are huge for control like that, where you can just be like, you know, just get the fuck out. Just yeah, you're no longer in the corner here. Go do something else. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that's definitely a big deal that you need, and that's an important part of analyzing the game because I think I saw that in the tournament we played, uh, you know, a month and a half ago or whatever it was, a month ago, mm. where a couple of the newer players I didn't think did a good job of evaluating what they should be playing in that game. And that's like uh, when we had the Ulix player who sometimes he just kept running the Ulix pigs into the crossfire. And it's like, yes, Ulix wants to fight, but he's actually pretty fast where you can actually scheme with it and you don't need to engage the model in a you know, useless, you know, catching bullets with your chest kind of game. The, the best thing about the Ulix thing is you can choose when they grow up and if you don't want to activate a model early, you can have a piglet be in the middle of the table, mm-hmm. hiding behind a rock that turns into a warhog for turn two. Yeah. So, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying is like, you have to recognize the moments. That way you can go ahead and adjust. And you, I'm telling you, I do this with like the, the first mate's a good example of this all the time. Mature Nephilim are a good example of this, where you almost feel like you want to kill stuff with them. But there's a time in the game where it's like, okay, I've got the killing done. I need to go get this victory point instead because that's going to actually win me the game. Yeah. Um, the the big problem of seeing red. Yeah. It's like there's yeah, a Chris, point Chris. over there. Yeah, there's a point over there three actions away from me. Or I could kill this model in two actions and then just like make some move forward. And then you move forward and then they interrupt you. And now you don't have three actions anymore. So you don't get the point later on anyway. You could have yeah. just Position taken three. the three actions forward, not be anywhere near, and just let that model be. It's yeah, not that's one of the key points. Yeah, that's one of the key things is to be able to determine when to stop doing whatever else you're doing and go score. Well, and I think Chris, you you start especially with Anya. You've been finding a really good strategy with her, and it's kind of like what you're talking about, Dixon, where it's like the points are over there, but you're interrupting and throwing stuff in people's faces. And they have to make this very determined choice on, okay, am I engaging this here in my, pretty much in your own deployment zone still, or are you gonna disengage and try to loosen that model up to go get them where they're more useful as far as scoring damn points? Yeah, Anya is notorious for keeping you in your own deployment zone. Yeah, you need to get out of that bitch quick when she's uh Yeah, just almost ignore her would be my suggestion. Just, just push break out. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of like, and that's one thing I learned a little too late in the last game that Chris and I played where it, it's like you can engage them. And the last game we played was actually symbols. And I felt okay because I was delaying Chris from scoring his symbol points, but I wasn't scoring too much of my own points. And that was causing, so basically what ended up happening is I eventually get whittled down and then I have very little points. And then Chris is in my zone to score all his points. Yep. So you, you definitely got to be wary of where you're engaging the opponent on the board. Which is exactly what I wanted. I, I, yeah. That was exactly what I was going for. I was going for my scoring late in game, just whittling you down. And I think it would have been okay, Chris, if we weren't playing in flank deployment, 
because the symbols were so spread out yep. that I couldn't take my three models that I had loose to score quick enough with all that. Exactly. Whereas you were just right in my freaking face and and I was able to score mine like I was fine. Yep. Yep. So definitely good advice for people that are looking at these tournaments. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think reps is the biggest thing kind of wrapping up this, getting ready for tournaments. I would definitely recommend that. Uh, if you can get different opponents and different crews to play against, that's another big thing that I think people need to do because like I said, Chris and I could easily get in this, like, Oh, I'm going to drop Anya. Well, I'm going to drop Ma, And then we have this battle between them. But that doesn't prep you for other matchups, other play styles, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my suggestion is to get at least three games with whatever your master you're playing. You know, whatever master you think is going to work in that uh, in that drop, you want to get that master and that crew and play at least three games with them. That way, you know the synergies that you're going to want to try and do. Best way to learn how to deal with something that's bad is playing against it. Yep. And if you think you have a bad matchup against something, just play against it before the tournament. Hey, don't get upset. Yeah, like, try it. It's it's this doesn't count. That's basically the best way that you can remind yourself. It's like, all right, I have a problem playing uh, Sorida versus uh, Guild and Pandora versus Ten Thunders. Yeah, don't get. And I have, I've asked people, hey, can somebody please play this awful shit that I don't want to deal with <laughs> against me? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's important too. Is and so I think for me also, I I also prep for tournaments by sometimes playing stuff that I might see. So like, for example, dropping Lucius with the Neverborn uh, Nephilims into Chris. Like, obviously, I'm not playing Neverborn, but I think even me playing that into Chris and seeing like how I could attack the board gives me ideas of how I would defend against it. So I, that's a big thing that I do just because I... I cast a wide net when it comes to playing factions and, and crews and stuff anyways. And I understand stuff better when I play against it or I play with it. So that's something that's just a Pete play style type thing. Yep. Um, also, this is one that's kind of interesting as far as prepping for tournaments. Do you guys have problems playing like three rounds in one day, like physically? <laughs> yes. Well, I'm saying, so how do you prepare for that though is what I'm saying. Like, how do you... As a player, how do you condition? Like, what, what do you do? Plenty of sleep the night before. Bring a snack. Make bring sure your you old have man Bengay. some type of charger. <laughs> um, if you're in my situation where your knees are just totally shot to shit, then make sure you bring some Advil or some other type of, you know, uh, uh, drink water. Uh, drink water. Drink a lot of water, but uh, just something that'll help ease the pain. Yeah. Uh, in my case, I uh, mentally, you just mentally have to like know your actions. Because the thing is that the more you actually know your actions, the less it, it actually forces your brain to think. Mm -hmm. And that's less exhaustion that you deal with. I know well, that's not something that people talk about, but mental exhaustion exists. Well, I was actually, that's why I brought it up, Dixon, because I think that's important that that last round... I don't care if the matchup is bad. Sometimes I'll play the master that I'm most comfortable with because yeah. your opponent's going to be the same way where mentally they've been playing two games. They're exhausted. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's mentally taxing. Even if physically you feel fine, just playing a master or crew that's complicated in round three can just lose you that last round. Mm -hmm. uh, so me personally, it's like I'm going to pick a crew that is either very straightforward 
or I'm going to bring a crew that I have my most reps with. And that's hopefully going to carry me the day just because of repetition. And I'm not going to miss triggers all over the damn place. Like familiarity makes it easy. Yeah. So, I mean, if I'm looking at round three, it's going to be very difficult. Actually, you know, at this point, I'm pretty comfortable with Ma, Zip, and Kin. So I think I could drop either of those probably round three. But if I want to go for straight up, just easy mode, just like don't even need to think about it. I'm probably, Kin's, Kin's probably the one I'm most comfortable with just because I know how to blast things. I know, you know, kind of like my triggers and stuff. And I'm not going to miss any auras or anything crazy like that. So Ophelia also is like super flipping tough. Yeah, it's it's the tankiest crew. Yes. It's the tankiest crew for Bayou. So if, you ha- if you're not playing Kin and you're Bayou player, it's like Ophelia is a tanky crew. So if you think they're going to bring a beater, so like that round two one, it's like with Turf Wars. If you don't want to give up too many points, Ophelia with the right list is not going to give up many points. As Ophelia far as Ophelia is markers. just straight up good. She can yeah. take she can take like some of the toughest masters in the game, and she can tank them for like two three rounds, depending yep. on how flips go. Yep. I mean, I took Titania to the chin in our game with uh, Ophelia, and the only reason she died in a turn and a half was because I flipped Black Joker trying to stone. That was that was it. That was it. But I mean, she she almost put down the Malasaurus Rex and put some points on Titania. So I mean, it it, it is what it is. But definitely tanky model. Yeah, I'm definitely like if I hadn't played that game, I wouldn't have noticed how much of a disparity is when you have nowhere to hide a model. Yeah, because most of my game plan is to use the terrain to try to survive long enough to get to you. And I know that sounds super like obvious. I'm sorry. I said, not with Malasaurus Rex. You're not hiding anywhere. He's hide four. And yeah. on the table, I noticed how this, like the discrepancy was huge. It's like, my God, he's yeah. bigger than every house here. <laughs> like, holy crap. How do I hide this thing? And you, you just couldn't. You every single him. gun in Ophelia's crew shot at him. Well, and that's the thing. That's where I say that you got to look at what the if the board's good with your crew because Ophelia needs clear lines of sight. Not clear, but... You know, it needs to be able to see, like, if there's a bunch of forests, there needs to be a good avenue where it's like, okay, as soon as they clear that forest, that's where I'm blasting them. I mean, all of your guys are literally stat six, except yeah. for Ophelia, who's seven. Yeah. He's only defense four, and with with um, cover, he was defense five. Oh, no. Yeah, that's what I was like. It's like, yep, boop, boop, boop. <laughs> dead, dead, dead. So... Yeah, I, I think that playing a comfortable master round three, and that's I think that's the biggest thing Chris and I are trying to do for him, is we're trying to get at least one of the explorers crew comfortable enough where he can just play them in kind of as like his default. Is and I think I, I think he's starting to lean towards Anya. If you're Anya, asking me, yeah, I like Anya. So you play Anya twice this tournament, then? Probably. Yeah, there's a good chance. Good chance. I mean. Ivan, I'm you know I'm getting my rest with Ivan as you well. Are. I've got uh, four games with Ivan and six with Anya, hmm. something like that. Let me, let me ask you, uh, Dixon. Do you find that assassinate is a little difficult with Explorer Masters? I actually haven't had the opportunity to think about that, so I don't know. Well, yeah, because, Anya's nasty. Well, because that's the thing. Like some of their masters are squishy, but yeah. they have ways to get them out real quick. And then yeah. if they bring models like the Intrepid Emissary or if there's other internal healing mechanics, they can kind of bring them back up and then get them back in there on point where they need to be. I mean, I've killed Anya 
Ivan, and Cooper. That's it. Well, I was going to say, I think Anya is easy to kill if the player makes a mistake with her and puts her in a bad situation. But Anya can be difficult to nail down. And then it's also difficult to sometimes finish her off if uh, like the intrepid emissaries nearby or something like that. Because her stats aren't horrible. So she's going to pass some of them and heal up. And uh, I think it just depends. Okay. So I was just wondering if you had any experience with that. Just, I mean, those three, Ivan is not easy to kill, but I was able to kill him. I almost killed um, Ivan. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, sure. I, whenever my my um, uh, familiar, familiar master, I, I don't think it comes to a surprise, it's Titania. Yeah. She's she's just, she was my first Neverborn master that I actually learned how to play well. well. her gun's gross. And her gun is the best attack in the game, and I'll say that forever. And against Ivan, it was just like, oh, I got concealment and cover, and yada, yada. I was like, don't care about any of that. Wham! And, and, and I'm going to do extra damage to you. Bam. It's like, save me! <laughs> Sweet baby Jesus. Oh, my God. Poor Mordrake, because like, I kept killing Mordrake just to do more damage to him. Yeah, that's also a tactic. It, it's like you can get him in a bad situation, kill more Drake, and be like, if you want more Drake back, what, they take like three damage, I think, on Ivan? Two. Uh, two. Oh, it's two. Irreducible. It's two irreducible, so not even stoning for it. All right, well, any last-minute thoughts about tournament prep or anything else as far as tournaments go? I think we're, we got we got a lot covered here. Yeah, get your uh, get your sleep the night before. It's very important. Bring a snack. Bring uh, bring a lunch if you know for sure. Uh, unless you know for sure, there's something right there. And uh, bring some drinks. Drink a lot of water. Be aware of bluffs, but don't be paranoid. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's like my biggest. That's the biggest thing that I could because in a tournament, you can't just go for the things that are obvious. You have to like look for. Wait, why he would go? Why would he would he move this model over there? but not this other model over here for outflank. <laughs> well, I think, Dixon, you, sometimes you have to realize that sometimes players don't make ideal choices. Like me personally, I might move a model completely out of position, and you might be like, oh, is he scoring outflank? But it's like, no, Peach has had a wild hair up his ass. Yeah, Peach so just got- wanted to go that way for some reason. <laughs> I mean, I'll still, I'll, I'll still make the mistake but while playing correctly. Let me put yeah, it that Yeah, way. right. And I think something else that, as far as prepping for tournaments that people, especially if you're traveling – um, I know Chris, Chris does this a lot and obviously I do cause I travel with him and stuff, but, uh, I'm a big proponent of getting a hotel the night before the tournament. That way you don't have to drive in the morning. If it's like more, if it's more than a three hour drive, it usually will do a hotel. That way you can get a decent night's sleep and then you do the tournament. And then I usually drive back. Some people like to stay again that night. Um, I usually just drive back after the tournament cause I'd rather sleep in my own bed if it's a three hour mm-hmm. trip. I mean, I've I have done the sleeping in the car thing. It's like just make the. I'm kind of a night. I'm not. I'm a night hawk too. So like driving at night doesn't bug me usually. Yeah, like I've literally it's like I brought like a cot or not a cot, but something soft to put it on the back seat. Mm-hmm. Just drive to a tournament, sleep in the cot the night before. You know, just I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, cool. So make sure that you guys are checking us out on the social media. Dixon's always on Discord. I, I see him all the time in the uh, Vassal channels and various, you know, posts online. Uh, we also have the Rage Quit Wire, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the RageQuitWire.com website. And like I said, if you want to support us directly, we're going to come up with a new goal. And then we'll figure out like what that mark's going to be and what we're going to do when we reach it for Patreon. 
Um, I'll let you know after we kind of discuss that as a podcast. Go Dixon. One last thing uh, about the summon model. They do not flip over the uh, turf war marker. So be aware uh, of that. So if, oh. if a summon model kills something, they don't flip it. Yep. Good to know. So that would also include insignificant, obviously, too. Yep. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Thanks for that, Dixon. You got the lawyer on on it, huh? <laughs> no, we have a channel on the Vassal League mm-hmm. for rules questions, and there's uh, a rules lawyers there. Nice. Yeah. That definitely helps out. So, yeah, check out our online content. Got a lot of it coming out. Um, we appreciate support. And one th- last little kind of disclaimer, just as we kind of wrap this thing up, uh, Obviously, especially myself, I know that the podcast, we definitely have strong opinions sometimes. And that's okay if you don't agree with it. Just know that I don't care sometimes. If you if you don't like my opinion, it's like, that, that's fine. Everybody has different opinions. I don't like Vassal. You might not like my voice. It's okay. I don't care. <laughs> it's like, I hate your words, Pete. You need to shut your mouth. <laughs> I hate your words sometimes. <laughs> you do. I mean, I see dumb. See, but that's the thing. It's like, this is a podcast. We're not the, you know, stay calm and think logically wire, right? This is the rage quit wire. We say things that are on the top of our minds. It might be totally irrelevant, illogical, ragey, whatever you want to call it. But we focus on the feels. If I'm pissed off about something, you best believe I'm going to say something about it. And I'm not even pissed off about Vassal. I just don't like it. <laughs> oh, my God. I well, also don't like it. So, I mean... Yeah, yeah just, just Chris is the kind of like, oh, you just do you. Whereas I'm kind of like, no, nah, I don't like it. And I mean, because Chris is doing it the right way. Like, if I don't like the fact <laughs> that, like, you know, oh, my neighbors have a, a purple truck. Oh, God, that's an ISO. I don't like key it. Key that I'm shit. I'm not going to go over. Exactly. I'm not going to go over there and key that shit. <laughs> Uh, teach you to have a purple car next to me and here's here's the other thing that's just awesome about it right it's like you know you get people talking about how you keyed the shit out of that car it's the same thing with me talking about trash and vassal it's like people get talking about it people say how dumb it is or people like yeah you want to know i don't like vassal either and that's fine it's like if you don't like it don't read about it it's not that hard that's true (laughs) because guess what we're gonna say dumb shit sometimes you're not gonna agree with everything we say and that's fine (laughs) I say dumb shit all the time. Boop, boop, yeah. boop. Oh, so funny. All right. So we want to thank you all, though, for your support. We do appreciate it. Uh, listeners have been great. Um, I'm just, I'm glad people are getting, you know, getting a lot out of the content. And, you know, we may not give you the highest competitive play, but I don't know. We're putting something out for y'all to listen to. It's something to listen to while you're driving, I guess. But with that being said, make sure that you guys flip cards, flip tables, and we will see y'all.